Joining me now to talk about the chambermaid, we have Doug Weatherford, a professor of Spanish from here at BYU. Doug, you've been on the program before. Welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your impressions of the chambermaid. What made this an interesting film to you? Well, I can tell you that I really liked the film, and I hadn't uh, really heard a lot about it until I watched it. And so one of the first things I did after seeing the film was go to Rotten Tomatoes just to kind of see what the buzz was. And I did notice that the critic rating was at 98%. Wow. And yeah. the, but the audience appreciation rating was significantly lower. I can't remember exactly. It was about 61, 62, That 60, tells you right away something 20%. about the kind of film, right? That it requires right. a different maybe sensibility going in, and the more experienced viewer is going to come with some more tools to be able to process it. Right, right. Um, but I really think it's a, it's a marvelous piece for being the director's first full-length yeah. film that, that it offers a lot and uh, not just for the experienced viewer, but I think for just anybody who wants to enjoy film. It's a very slow-moving piece. The camera moves very infrequently. Frequently, it'll just uh, set up in a, in a corner of a room yeah. in a hotel and just let this maid, this protagonist, go about her duty. And uh, I was just amazed at how much fun it was as a voyeuristic experience, right? Yeah. I mean, how often do we spend time in hotel rooms, but seldom do we get the opportunity to see uh, what goes on behind our closed doors when we're not in right. the room. And there's like a double voyeurism going on, right? Right. Because it's on the one hand, we're watching her. And, and like you say, it's a very... Mm -hmm. If you want to think of it as kind of a passive camera, that it, it lets things happen in front of it. It doesn't right. tell you what to look at all the time. And so we're watching you know, her go about her work at the same time that she's watching people, right? That you know, chambermaids, you know, housekeeping in, in hotels has this really unique insight into who we are insofar that they're among our things, right? That they, they can deduce the activities that have <laughs> taken place in the room. Um, and, and it's this kind of intimate space. And so she's also, of course, a kind of voyeur. And so we're the, the yeah, we're watching the watchers here. Right. And I, I think that was a lot of fun, especially to just see how the camera operates uh, and I thought that it was a lot of fun that most of the time the camera was static. And when it did move, it usually felt like it was following behind a person, almost mm -hmm. a point of view shot, but not quite. Yeah. But it's a very static camera that just kind of lets us decide what the dominant is within the frame or the first right. thing that we see or the thing that's going to attract our attention. It's an interesting kind of uh, realism, right? I mean, this is Bazan kind of like yeah. this kind of camera, you know, think bicycle thieves, right? That, you know, that he kind of goes on about yeah. where there's multiple things potentially going on and, and you're not quite sure what it is you're, you know, kind of quote unquote supposed to be supposed to be looking at. But I wonder too, if, if part of the, this kind of stasis that we experience is supposed to be suggesting something about her experience as well, right? That we never go out of the hotel, that we're, yeah. we're trapped in this, in this kind of space <laughs> in the way that she's kind of trapped in a, in a sense as well. Yeah, and I know what hotel this is in Mexico City. Oh, you do? I know that oh, wow. region of Mexico City. So one of the things that I thought was particularly interesting about the film was the fact that we constantly have a view of the outside, right? There are huge windows that open to the outside, but the director, I think, must have decided to film only on days when there was a particular overcast sensibility so that you you can see the city, but you don't see the city, yeah. right? There's never a shot that really lets us admire how beautiful the city is on the outside of the rooms because the grayness 
of her outfit, of the walls, yeah, of the corridors, and also of the city outside just kind of makes this film particularly gloomy, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting wow. because uh, just in, in my uh, uh, Spanish-American literature class, a survey class this semester, right now at this point, we're reading the poetry of Pablo Neruda, who has a sensibility towards what he calls impure poetry. In other words, trying to find the beautiful in the quotidian or the daily. You know, so simple objects, an onion, for example, or a used stairwell or whatever can be beautiful. And so it was an interesting contrast for me to see one artist trying to show the beauty in the everyday and another artist uh, and the director of uh, The Chambermaid really kind of showing us a much more depressing view of the RB Day. Here is an individual who is not finding joy and satisfaction in the daily tasks that she has to do in her job. Yeah, that's that's an interesting comparison to draw, actually, because you think about the way that authors like Neruda were interested in elevating work, right? And, right. and kind of making it a, a kind of heroic sort of thing. And, and you're right that this film, I mean, there's something noble in, in the character, but it's not, I don't know how to, how to put it exactly, what she's doing, it stops short of being heroic at the same time, right? Uh, that there's, in fact, if anything, it's, there's something oppressive about it. it. It kind of becomes a vehicle for, I mean, I just think about the way that she's treated by those around her. She's invisible in, you know, to the guests of the hotel that, that she hardly exists. And insofar that she does exist, she's to be commanded about as a, as a kind of object, right? And I, I have noticed that a number of people have written uh, that type of comment about this uh, film. I, I actually had a bit of a different experience with it. Yeah. And, and I like the fact that the film shows us a lot of truths without being preachy, Yeah. right? I mean, there's no sense that we have to agree, for example, that Eve, the protagonist of the movie, actually deserved the promotion that she was hoping to get. There's no sense that she is always the best worker, for example. Mm-hmm. There's no sense that, well, you know, one class ignores another class when the reality is that Eve also has a tendency to create the bubble in which she exists. And so I like the fact that in the cafeteria, for example, you frequently found hotel workers that were enjoying life, that mm-hmm. were creating connections, and somehow she tended to isolate herself. And so I, I think that you can see Eve as a character who is trapped in a life that perhaps she doesn't want, but at the same time, she's the author of the life that she has created, at mm-hmm. least to a certain extent. And, uh, and, and so I really enjoyed that about the film uh, and kind of the freedom that it gives to the audience to, to see what uh, they want to see or need to see. Yeah, well, and, and returns agency. I mean, that reading kind of returns mm-hmm. agency to, you know, to her, which I think is a good, a good observation. This is not thinking just in recent years, one can't help but, but compare this to uh, Cuaron's uh, Roma, right, which is right. also about domestic help. But it's very different uh, as well. That whereas Cuaron, you know, follows you know his main protagonist, whose name I can't remember off the top of my head, <laughs> she she of course is able to leave the home. That she has a different you know a different kind of presence you know in the home. Do you see a parallel going on here? Yeah, I think there's uh, there's definitely a sense that uh, both directors want to show us 
uh, side of life that perhaps we often ignore. Mm-hmm. And I think that both films are quite different. I, I, I would hesitate to compare them too much because I think they're very different vehicles. Yeah, definitely different both, projects behind Yeah, them. and they're both very good, I think, in what they want to do. But, uh, but they're definitely kind of trying to show us that side of life that may be visible. And I, I don't know if this is the place to, to mention it, but, but I really uh, quite enjoyed the conclusion to The Chambermaid mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, you don't have to worry back. about spoilers. We assume that, you know, that people have seen it. So. Kind of going back to, yeah. to what, we, uh, what we had said earlier, right, that uh, I, I think that there's, uh, there's a lot to try and understand about the decision that Eva makes as she leaves the hotel and the camera obviously doesn't follow her mm-hmm. outside. And uh, it almost felt like a Thelma and Louise moment, yeah. you know, where you jump the car and into the Grand Canyon and, uh, okay, are we supposed to interpret this? <laughs> or Nora at the end of a doll's <laughs> house, right, who, you know, right. who walks out of the structure right. that where we've been contained for, you know, the whole time. Yeah, is this a moment to celebrate, you know, this uh, individual is taking control of, of their life and, uh, and, and now are going to be able to, you know, create a better future. Uh, but at the same time, or we, not, right. or not, right. we have to wonder whether, you know, going back to her home, which we never see, but we know it doesn't have a shower, it doesn't have a lot of amenities, it's a little bit on the outskirts of the city, probably, mm-hmm. because it's far away, she tells us. But uh, is she tomorrow going to realize that she doesn't have a job and doesn't have a way of supporting her, yeah. her young family? So there's all kinds of things that I think are possible in the conclusion that once again kind of gives this text a real writerly feel in the sense yeah. that we as viewers have to help create the meaning that the film is going to have. Right, yeah. And that ambiguity, I think you're right, it, it, it helps keep it from being preachy and it gives us the space to kind of yeah. exist in there with it. Well, a final question for you. You know, being expert in Mexican culture and the, the contemporary situation in, in Mexico, is there, are there important things to understand about how Mexicans see their own culture at this particular moment that you see reflected in this film? Well, I, I think the, the obvious cultural clash that you notice is the difference between the Argentine hotel guest who's a young mother who's right. wealthy but also somehow trapped in this hotel room as her husband goes out and uh, does his business and leaves her there. And Eve, who is... Uh, clearly trapped in, in her own world. And so I think that the film does play somewhat with the idea of cultural and social and economic differences. But at the same time, I'm, I, I wondered as I saw this film if it would have been different had the hotel not been in the better part of Mexico City, mm-hmm. right? And so I know that some people, some viewers have wanted to see a kind of a social difference, you know, yeah. that, that she's invisible because the guests that she serve are uh, staying at one of the uh, more expensive hotels in Mexico City. Although some people say it's a five-star. I think it's actually a four-star <laughs> hotel. Um, but I've stayed at hotels in Mexico City that will cost, you know, fifteen twenty dollars a night and yeah. that are for a lower class. And so it's not as if, you know, there are only individuals working in these hotels to serve those who make significantly more money than they do. They also work in hotels where they serve guests that probably are the same economic stratus as Mm -hmm. they are. And so, I don't know, maybe we need to have the chambermaid too, (laughs) (laughs) where we see perhaps some some of those experiences of being 
right in, yeah. in, in, in a much more rundown, much more economically challenged uh, part of the city. Sure. So I wonder... It'd be a different dynamic. Yeah. And, and so I wonder, getting back to your question, you know, about is it telling us something about Mexican culture? I, I think it is, but I'm not... I, again, I don't think it forces us to see one message or another. Yeah. But we have a lot to talk about, a lot to think about. And going back to that rot- Rotten Tomatoes evaluation, I'd like to get... And to be able to speak with those individuals who didn't like this film and just have some of those conversations with them. Because I think this movie lends itself to conversations that will be productive without necessarily coming to finite answers. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thanks for being with us, Doug, once again. Oh, you bet. It's always fun. And now joining me to talk about hard labor is Rex Nielsen from the Department of Portuguese here at BYU. Thanks for being here with me, Rex. It's a pleasure as always. <laughs> so Hard Labor is a film, you know, just to give a quick recap, is a film about a couple on economically a little bit of hard times. He's just lost his job. She's wanting to open up a grocery store and things are kind of tight. They have a live-in maid who they're not treating maybe as well as they could. She seems to be working illegally even um, and they're maybe taking a little bit of advantage of that fact. And we can talk without spoiler alerts here. We assume that people have seen the movie. So there's something not quite right about the uh, the store. And this is where there's something kind of horror going on, <laughs> although it's kind of vague through the uh, through the whole thing. That's kind of the story, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Tell me first, what are your overall impressions of the film? Did the film speak to you? Did it work on all levels or only on some levels? What do you think? I thought the film was interesting. And the more I think about it, the more interesting it becomes. <laughs> but one of those films... As, as I've as I watched it, I really, <laughs> really hated this film. Yeah. And what did, rubbed did, you wrong did, about did it? Did not like it. Well, I thought in, in terms of quality of the acting yeah. and, and some of the storyline... It seemed there, a bit forced. Yeah, there's some, yeah. some things that are predictable... But but there are also some things that I think the film does well. And as I've thought about those things, that's what's arrested my attention a little bit. Okay, well, so help Where, redeem so, the so, film for us So the, the things that I think this film does well is that it, it really taps into some contemporary anxieties in mm-hmm. Brazil about the financial markets and class relations about race relations, and there's this sense of precarity that runs all throughout the film. And I guess what I thought was interesting is the way that they captured this sense of precarity within the demographic of this upper middle class couple, where normally precarity is represented by the maid's position, which obviously she's in a precarious position, she's undocumented, she's never been able to get her work documentation and so she Help me understand what's going on there actually because that was unclear to me. Why is is she from another country? Is that No, why she she's not from another work? country, but she's clearly from a marginalized community perhaps yeah. what, you know, what what we often refer to as a favela or But why wouldn't she have a work permit then? In Brazil you have to have a you have to have she's 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 never gotten it's essentially like her social security number. I she's see. she's never been able to get her social security number. I see. Okay. And this is related to her origins, which are I see. from you know a precarious yeah. situation. And so yeah, that 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 moment at the end of the film 
when her friend, you know, the, the person that she's, has been helping her presents her with that, that card and he says, now you're somebody, you know, now yeah. you are, now you are a person, you know, her personhood has been in question yeah. all, all throughout the film. But, but to me, I mean, that's like, that's a sub story to the film. I mean, mm-hmm. the real precarity that this film is capturing is this precarity of the upper middle class whose financial situation is not as good as they think it is or mm-hmm. that they were hoping it was. And, you know, as I did a little reading about the film, one thing that really caught my eye was that, you know, seeing that the film was came out in 2011, to me, that's this is a strange... You know, financial this crisis, is a, right? No. No? No, no, no. It, our financial crisis, not but this. not theirs. I mean, oh, I see. This, is, this film was produced at a moment when Brazil's economy was riding high. Like Things were going very well in Brazil. The exchange rate versus the dollar was... Like the best it's been in you know a yeah. long time for Brazil. So this was this film was produced at a time of economic prosperity when there was a huge the credit market was expanding. Yeah. Uh, Brazil has five economic classes A B C D and E and that C class was really expanding its you know economic power its buying power. Yeah. And so to me it's it was fascinating that this film was made. Just as like everyone's dreaming about opening a store, yeah. Everyone's dreaming about like expanding, expanding their their status. Yeah. But there's some there's some interesting parallels. One is the parallel: the husband of the family who loses his job, and all of a sudden he's unmarketable. He's unmarketable. Yeah. He's he's at the mercy of all these other people. Yeah. Just as the maid is at the mercy of. I yeah. mean, there's that interesting parallel that's going on there. But there's there's other fears, right? There's the fear about the upward mobility through social class and and race, you know, the, the race issues. Two moments of the film that just, I mean, I just cringed, cringed as I watched it. Like, I, it was so painful for me to watch. Are the two school moments, the one where the the parents, in the midst of all their problems. They go to the school to watch their daughter be in a play. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you caught what the play is. I mean, the play is a reenactment of the moment of abolition, like the signing yeah. of the abolition law. And all the children are in blackface. Yeah. I mean, it's just horrific. To, I mean, it, horrific to watch this. Then the other moment is when the little girl is getting ready for carnival and she wants to dress up like an Indian. And, you know, the maid is helping put on this makeup. Yeah. So, so this notion of, like, masks, mm-hmm. and like the masking of smoothing over these, these tense race relations was, again, like I said, it was, it was, it was cringe-inducing for me. <laughs> but, I mean, it's like, it's under, it's, that's, it's below the surface of these yeah. other bigger issues that are going on. Well, my daughter pointed something out to me about the, the really stiff acting style of the, of the lead actress. Mm-hmm. And that she, the way that she read that was that she's keeping up a facade. And, mm-hmm. she's, and she's doing it in a way that's obviously keep, keeping up a facade. She right. always moves in just the right way, right? Yeah. And she's always kind of made up in just the right way. And that, and then that would kind of go along with this, right? That it's kind of it's the keeping up the the appearance, you know, of of what she's supposed to be, you know, where there's this kind of deep anxiety that's lurking, bubbling up, and something actually rotting in the walls. Right. right? I mean, and so like this this what's rotten in society yeah. is, I mean, literally in the infrastructure. 
yeah. of this of the of of the building. It's in the system itself. It's in right? the system yeah. itself. It's in the walls. It's in the floor. Well, it's it's, interesting in, it's because in the infrastructure. They don't actually ever really explore what on earth that was that came out of the wall, right? Yeah. That it's there's something primal about it, right? There's very, something very very primal. But the dog. I mean, the thing about the dogs outside. I mean, that actually spoke to me as well because. There's a number of important pieces of literature from from Brazil where like the bark of the dog you know represents this element of society that like you can't ignore. Yeah. There's there's something there some something that's marginalized, something that is invisible to the human but invisible not to, to the, but 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 the but the, the dog you know the the yeah. dogs i'm thinking of Clarice Lispector she has two different you know her famous novel the passion according to gh where like this bark of the dog is something like in her psyche that she can't ignore yeah. and uh, there's another famous dog episode from uh, uh Nohamos's uh, barren lives where this dog that, that barks and then ultimately that you know the dog dies and this, yeah. this sign of you know decay in society and anyway so those were two you know that that's how I read yeah. it, you know that that animal that's there yeah but then if you pair that with the last scene that the last going to say yeah right that where okay that. they've tried to get rid of it they burned it yeah and then in the last scene it's like Okay, let it out. You know, he's that that monster is in each of us. Yeah. And he lets it out, right? He I mean And that's somehow gonna help us be more successful in well, a job, right? Well in that it but according to the logic of the market, there Yeah. I mean that's the logic of the market, right? That you have to be it's a jungle. Yeah. And you have to be you know, the the civilized forms of expression and interactions are not gonna get you ahead. Yeah. You have to become and so I, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a horrible. I mean, my own reading was that. I mean, it's a, a, a strong, denuncia, um, indictment. Indictment. Yeah. It's an indictment of Brazilian, you know, Brazil's social and financial system right now. That yeah. the only way you get ahead is if you indulge that aspect of human of humanity. <laughs> Yeah, this this is not a real rosy rosy picture. But then again, none of the films are in our upstairs downstairs series really <laughs> painted yeah. a you know particularly uh, happy picture of things. But the terror, you know, I think the terror about, you know, the the terror about losing this newfound upward mobility, this newfound buying power. Yeah, I mean that's the real terror of this film that. You know, that, that they can't, that, that's... The great horror. Yeah. That's the great horror. Yeah, that's that's great. Well, Rex, thank you so much for, for coming and uh, talking to us a little bit about the film. You're very welcome. Well, and thank you for joining us today on From the Booth. Our podcast is produced by the International Cinema Program at BYU, which is supported by the BYU College of Humanities. The hosts and guests of this podcast are solely responsible for the opinions and ideas expressed here, as they don't necessarily represent any official position adopted by the university or its supporting institutions. Thanks to Jojo Hegstrom Pratt, our sound engineer, as well as the staff of the BYU Humanities Resource Center for their help and support. Uh, thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you in 250 of the Kimball Tower. Thanks again, Rex. You're welcome.